You good? I, I think so. <laughs> that on, we, there we go. Thanks, Eric. Uh, good morning. Good to see you guys. How you doing? Doing well? Awesome. You know, we're a little more awake second service, right? I am, you are, and it's a little, little more time this morning. Had your coffee. Hey, uh, my name's Luke. It's a, a, a blessing and a privilege uh, to get a share from God's Word this morning. Been uh, involved with Calvary since my time in college. Uh, started at Cal Poly in 2002 and kind of off and on over the years, but, but really Calvary's been my church home, and I love this church. Thankful for God's Word and the series that we've been going through, and I just appreciate Brian asking me and be, you know, being willing to come and, and share. So it's a blessing to be with you guys. I was talking with Nick in the back. I said he you know, told Nick he kind of made it hard for me because um, you know, I'm following up after him and Brian, and so I got to spend about the first half of my talk correcting things that Nick Village had said you know, in past week. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We're very fortunate to have, you know, a great pastoral team here and, and, and people getting to share from God's word and speak, so I'm glad to be a part of that. Um, and it's good to see you guys. This morning, uh, we're continuing in the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, this morning's kind of topic is going to be talking about the call of God. Uh, Paul challenges the believers in Corinth. He says, consider your calling, brethren. And so we're going to be talking about that. That's kind of the theme. And it's still in 1 Corinthians um, we've been going through this series, so if you haven't been coming to Calvary the last few weeks, I'm going to share a little bit of just kind of get us up to speed and some context, and then we'll read the passage and, and, and kind of uh, get into it for this morning. And we're going to then take a little break from uh, Corinthians here in this series and then uh, kind of talk about Advent in the next few weeks, which will be really nice leading up to Christmas. So hopefully you can continue to come and be a part of that. And uh, yeah, we'll just have a nice time this morning getting into, uh, getting into God's Word. Um, just a little bit of context, Pastor Brian shared last week, if you were here, he talked about kind of the storyline and this idea of narrative and the storyline of the Bible and what God is doing in the world and the, versus the storyline of the world and the culture, the cultural kind of storyline or narrative that was going on in Corinth at the time. And Nick and Brian and others have done a good job kind of talking to us some about, about some of the context or the, um, the history and what was going on in this time. And I'm going to share a little bit of that uh, just, again, for those who may haven't been here at the other, other times, but Corinth, really, this church, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, which is in a, uh, a very metropolitan or, or multicultural um, kind of trade route in the Roman Empire. Uh, Corinth is in, in, in modern-day Greece, and it was run and, and led by Greek society for a long time. In 146 BC, the Romans came in, they, they kind of destroyed Corinth. Uh, conquered it. Eventually, it was rebuilt by Caesar in around 40 BC, and so it was kind of now an up-and-coming, thriving place, but it was very diverse, very vast, lots of people coming there for a lot of different reasons and purposes, and a lot of it was trade. Uh, Brian had talked about how Corinth is on the uh, right next to what's called the Isthmus, which is a little kind of strip of land in between two bodies of water, and ships would come in, they would port there, kind of cross over that area, and, and, then, and then go um, after that. Actually, can you, is there a picture one back? Is the yeah this one that's actually now modern day they've put a whole thing through there and that's an isthmus that's a little tugboat they actually took an entire cruise liner through that little port uh, recently and it was like a, a record for the big ship kind of going through this thing and it's really not that wide of an area now the, the boats can go right through but in the, I don't think that was there in the past and and I just mentioned that because I'm in sports ministry some of you that know uh, if, if I know you I, I work with FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes and we kind of talk about or joke that really Paul. Um, in many ways, was one of the first sports ministers back then. So a cool thing about this area um, is that it, most of you have heard of the Olympic Games. We obviously got the Olympics coming up in uh, uh, Tokyo next year. Um, and so in this area, they used to have the, what's called the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games were uh, like the Olympic Games, what they happened in the year before and the year after, so every other year or so. 
and it was sometimes even bigger or more well-attended than the Olympic Games, which were on Mount Olympus and so on, in this area. And so it was a place where this big sports, uh, you know, festival, these games would happen, you know, in boxing and wrestling and racing and chariots and all that stuff, and people would travel from all over kind of that area into um, Corinth, into that area to watch and observe these games. Really big, you know, thing, a lot of things would be going on. And so Paul, somebody shouted out, what was, what's Paul known for? What was his job or what was some of his side work that he would do? He was a tent maker, right? And so in a lot of ways, he would probably, it would make sense, he was working in this area with Priscilla and Aquila and some of the parts of his life and ministry, he would be making tents for all these people that would be migrating into Corinth at that time for those Isthmian games. It's very possible. And so later in Corinthians, when he says, in a race, all runners run. They do it to get a prize that perishes. We do it to get a prize that's imperishable. He's talking about the wreaths that these runners would have worn, uh, and which is very temporary, versus the crown of life and so on, and, uh, and just talking about that, um, you know, kind of making that comparison, which would have been very familiar in the minds of these Corinthians, having that sports festival in their community. Does that make sense? In modern day, it would be like uh, maybe, you know, for the 2024 Olympics, if you were to, you know, be a property manager for Airbnb down in Los Angeles, as people from all over the world travel in, and then taking advantage of that to share Christ and to get out tracks and to minister to the fans and the guests and the people that are coming into that area. You get that picture? So that's just a little bit. You can go to the next one. That's just a little bit of the um, uh, kind of a background and context. Another thing that you have in this time in Corinth, now that it's under Roman occupation, Roman ha- uh, the Romans had a very um, defined class system with kind of an upper class, the, I think they, they called it the um, patrician, or the patricians, the patricians class, and then the plebeians, and with the plebeians kind of the working class, but they were free people, and then you had the higher kind of aristocracy, upper class, um, nobility, and a lot of that was based off of birthright, and uh, more even than wealth and other things, it was birthright, and so you had this very ex- kind of extreme upper class. In between there, there was kind of the, uh, the senators, or, or some of the pol- political class, and the, uh, the equestrians, which was like former cavalry that had retired and stuff and that were in there. They were kind of above the plebeians. And then you had slaves and, and, and so on. So there's this kind of very distinct class system, and that's significant because it'll tie into this passage. So, um, yeah, that's just a little bit of context and background about the time and the place and the people that Paul is ministering to. Also, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but it's also a, a society, a community where there's a lot of immorality. The church was really struggling with conflicts and disunity and even immorality within the church, which reflected a lot of the culture. And you had a culture that really esteemed wisdom and philosophy that, you know, coming off the history, the Greek culture with, um, you know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, right, um, Roman leader Cicero, who's a great orator and a philosopher. And so they really esteemed um, oratory and philosophy and, you know, wise-sounding words and ways of putting words together and all that kind of stuff. And that's the context that Paul is writing um, this, this to them. So let me uh, pray. We'll read this passage and we'll, we'll continue on. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this morning, the opportunity to be here with our church family, um, to share from your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us this morning and you would reveal to us uh, more in depth what it means to be called by you, what that looks like to make a difference in this world um, for your glory, Lord, that we might boast in you and not in ourselves. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us, that um, you speak through me with clarity, and that your spirit would empower this time. And uh, Lord, for everyone who's here this morning, that we would be able to meet with you and encounter you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so let's read this passage. Read it from here. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians. We have some Bibles. I think there's maybe, if, if you would like one, you can raise your hand, and somebody will hopefully pass, uh, pass them out. We, we're good. We got a few. Um, so 1 Corinthians, if you have a Bible or your phone or they're going to pass a few out here. 
you know, we've been going through the series for a little while. We're still in the first chapter, and we're going to take a break from the series before we get out of the first chapter, but that's okay. It's, uh, this is good. And I have it up on the screen there as well. So it says here, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low um, and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in his presence, in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So that's the portion of scripture we have this morning. And again, in the context, Paul is just before this writing about, um, you know, he's writing and he's, he's talking about how the gospel is being preached, and it's the foolishness of God to those who believe. He says to the, to the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block, okay? The Jews, like I said, or the, the Greeks, like I said, were really valued philosophy and, and oration and oratory. And the Jews, they were looking for a Messiah, which is very different than how Christ came, as, as we know. And they were looking for specific signs, and they wanted a, a sign, a manifestation of, of God to be able to believe. And so it was a stumbling block for them. It was foolishness to the Jews. And Paul kind of unpacks that in the passage of the part of the scripture before this. And then after this, he goes on to say, hey, look, I didn't come to you with eloquence or, or, or earthly wisdom, but I came in the power of the Spirit, preaching Christ and him crucified. And that's kind of, kind of it. It's not that we don't have a message of, of wisdom, but the wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of this world. And that contrasts to some of what we're, we're looking at here. In fact, the idea, you can kind of imagine or is probable, probable that maybe some of the Corinthians or the people in that culture, the Greeks, were saying, oh, this is foolishness, this is crazy. And Paul's kind of taking that and saying, yes, the foolishness of God is far greater even than the wisdom of man. And so he kind of builds on that. So the theme, though, is the idea of being called by God. Um, that thing, that first passage where it says, um, consider your calling. So the question for us this morning is, what does it mean to be called by God? What does it mean to be called by God? And we'll hope to answer that question as we kind of go throughout the scripture this morning. How many of you have ever asked over the course of your life or a life of faith, um, what is God's will for my life? Have you asked that question? Maybe you're asking that question now. Maybe you're a college student and you're going, okay, what is the next season after these seven years of Cal Poly? What do I have, you know, <laughs> coming up after this? You know, what's the, what's the, the what's ahead? Am I I'm going to get a job. Do I have to move out of the area? Is it going to be a job that's my career? Is it just something do I do temporary? When am I going to get married? Is it right after college? Is it when I'm 35? You know, all of these questions that we ask. God, give me clarity. Give me understanding about what is your will for my life. What are you calling me to? And we wrestle with that, and it's important. And I remember being in, I think it was end of high school or early college, there was a book I had gotten. It was called Decision Making in the Will of God, and it was a, a helpful book for me because he, he kind of talked about how sometimes we really want to know the very specific will of God. God, what is the specific thing that you want me to do in this given circumstance? And what happens when we think about understanding God's call in our life or his will for our life in that way is we oftentimes don't act because we don't have clarity on the exact specific thing. And the challenge, and it's a pretty big book, but the summary is, is that there are so many things that are revealed to us in God's word about his general will, his sovereign will, that we can know, that are very clearly God's will, that we can act on. Things like, it is God's will that you be uh, sanctified. It's God's will that you give thanks in all things. Often do we not have gratitude in our hearts about the circumstances of our life. 
right? Things that we know that we've been commissioned to, to share the gospel and preach the gospel. And what we know and can, and can build our life and our choices and decisions off some of these things that are very clear in God's word about his will for us or his call in our life, that can free us from the uncertainty or free us to, to, to move forward in faith even when there's uncertainty about other details of our life. So that's, let's, let's look at this a little bit more. What does it mean to be called by God? The ca- calling, that word uh, Greek, klesis, it, the divine invitation to embrace salvation in the kingdom of God. One of the definitions that I had saw. Klesis, the divine invitation to embrace salvation in the kingdom of God. And Paul challenges the church, consider your calling. Think about these things. And so there's a couple of things that we see um, in this passage, or what does it mean to be called by God? I want to encourage us to think of it this way. First, we've been called to relationship with God. First and foremost, our calling is to know God. Eternal life is this, to know God and to know him fully, right? So we're called into relationship with God to, to experience an intimate relationship where we know him, not just about him, not just in community of people that believe in him, but that we would know God. But also, we're called to relationship with God, and then we're called to service in the world, to make a difference in the world. Other ways of saying it, we're called to worship. Oh, they put them all up there too fast. We're called to worship God, and we're also called to be a witness in the world. We're, you know, we, we are familiar with the phrase, and we talk about the core kind of our faith, we're called to love God and to love others. So we've been called, and we've been commissioned. Do you see that? Two kind of main core things about what it means to be called by God is that we're called into relationship with God, and that out of it, the, the overflow of that intimate relationship and the transformative work that comes, you know, inside out through, through our life, through the, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that our life would then be on mission to make a difference in the world, that we would seek to know God and to make him known to those that are around us. I want to pause for a second and tell a little bit of a story, which I'll come back to near the end, but um, a pastor down in my old hometown, Santa Clarita, was um, sharing with his congregation and challenging them to some of these themes about being a witness in the world, about sharing Christ with their friends and coworkers and clients and the people that they interact with. And there was a couple that was going to that church. I actually went to this church, Placer to Bible Church, when I was like maybe 10 or 11. It was probably right before, or yeah, elementary, middle school, something like that. Just for, you know, about a year and a half in my family. It was a very small church. I think at the time it was like 100 people. Now it's maybe a few hundred people. And there's a couple that goes there. I don't know all of the details. Um, some of this I kind of heard third hand, uh, you know, second or third hand, which would be fine in an impeachment inquiry, but for our purposes, that was a joke. James told me I didn't have enough jokes in the first service. Um, but but, but, it, but I, so I don't know all of the details of this story and this couple of what happened, but it's really fascinating, and I've been encouraged by this story. So this couple is sitting in church, and the pastor's challenging them, hey, you know, go and share with the people that are in your life. Well, one of the guys, I don't know if it was full-time or part-time or what he did, but he taught skateboard lessons, and the wife, she was a house cleaner. And they would do this as part of their job. And they had some clients that they were interacting with, and they were feeling compelled. Man, we should invite them to church, but they're kind of going, ah, they probably wouldn't <coughs> you know, want to come to our church, or I don't know about that. They're well-known. And so they're like, eh, I, I don't know. But, they, but the pastor continued to encourage them, and eventually they acted on that. And so, and I'll, I'll finish the story in, in a minute. But, but for us, thinking about who are the people in our life, as God has called us to relationship with him, but then also to be a witness in the world, who has he put into our life that he wants us to be a light to, to be a witness to, to share the gospel with, to invite to Christian fellowship in a small group or in a church service. And so it's this idea that God has a plan, a purpose, a calling on each of our life. There's a really powerful passage in Acts 17 that I get to uh, share. I share about this passage with some of the college students and high school students that we work with um, through FCA. Um, Acts 17, you can turn there. I'll just read it really quickly, but... um, 
This is in Acts 17, 26. And it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the, on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So Paul, in Acts, a different place, speaking to the Areopagus, he's talking about how God has appointed, appointed the time and the place where we would live. He is, he's actually set the boundaries and the time frame of when we would live. Of course, we have choice and free will, and you may have chose to move to this area or move out of this area or your career path or wherever you're at, but God is sovereign, and he's ultimately orchestrating his will and purpose for our life. And even more so, if we would surrender and to submit to that and say, God, help me be in tune to what you're wanting to do in and through my life, we can see that he actually has planned things for our life to accomplish. Acts 2, 8 through 10, it's a familiar passage. <clears throat> it says, you know, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. But then he goes on to say, and we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. You familiar with that, that verse? So God has good works, things that he wants your life to accomplish that you may not even be aware of at this point. People that he wants you to interact with and to share with or to show his love to or to, ways to use your skills, your talents, your abilities to make a difference for his kingdom, things that you may not even be aware of. God is foreordained. He's planned ahead of time things for you to walk in. And the more in tune we are to the Spirit, the more we will realize those things. I shared the first service. There was a time uh, in... in um, when I, you know, a while back, I was living in a different place, and I was doing FCA, and in ministry, it's easy to get in routines of kind of set patterns of, you know, okay, I got these meetings and these appointments, and you have kind of structured ministry, um, which, 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 which is good and, and helpful, but it's easy to get caught up in that and miss kind of some of the unique things that God might be doing, and so anyways, I went to a neighbor's house and knocked on the door. I had to ask him some questions, and he didn't, uh, he, you know, he didn't answer, but another guy answered who was visiting him, somebody from out of town. So, and he, you know, he answers the door, and, and I'm like, oh, is Ryan here? No, he's not here. And he's like, okay. And he's like, hey, I, I heard about you. And he's like, aren't you, you know, don't you do, like, ministry stuff? And this and that. he's like, I've actually been having these questions and wondering about this stuff about God, and I'm not quite sure about this stuff. And, and I'm kind of like, God, i got to get out of here to go to do ministry, you know? Like, <laughs> this guy's kind of distracting me with all these God questions. And, uh, and then he kind of was, like, persistent, and, and I was like, okay, yeah. And I was trying, and then and I kind of, like, dawned on me, like, okay, wait, like, this is kind of a, what do we call it, a divine appointment. Like, God has set this up. This person is very interested and open and, and kind of even initiating conversations with me, like how much we try to initiate conversations and it's hard. He's initiating conversation with me and I'm, I'm about to blow him off and miss it because I've got ministry stuff to do or something. And so I paused and I kind of, you know, gathered myself and I was like, yeah. And then, so I kind of engaged in the conversation and 45 minutes, an hour later, we had this awesome conversation where I got to share about Christ and share the gospel and answer some of his kind of skeptical questions that he had. I think he had, the conversation started earlier with, with my other friend. And so we, we sometimes, we might miss, the reason that we're talking about this passage this morning and, and hopefully are encouraged and Paul teaches the church in Corinth, he wants us to be mindful of God's calling in our life and the things that he's wanting to do through our life. It's very easy to sometimes separate, you know, kind of our spiritual life, time of prayer, being in church, and then, okay, I got my job, my career, my family, other things that I'm doing, and they need to be integrated and be mindful of how God is wanting to work in every area of our life, and even in the things and the times that we may not expect. See that? Cool? So that's kind of the idea that, what does it mean by called by God? First, God has a call in our life. Second, the second kind of point is that God uses the weak, or the weak things of the world, and this, I think, is an encouragement to us. So it's, it's you know, kind of funny in the passage. Go ahead and go to the passage. 
he says here, it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Or actually, before that, you know, it says, not many of you are of noble, noble character. Sorry, let me read it really quick. One, can you go? One second, sorry. I just wanted to um, give the, the context of the first, the first uh, passage. Yeah, for consider your calling, brothers. It says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Kind of like, thanks, Paul. <laughs> He's kind of like, you guys obviously, you know, you're not very important. You didn't really accomplish much. You're not known for much. Hey, God can even use you, which is encouraging me. I'm like, okay, they want me to preach on Sunday. Like, okay, God uses the foolish in the world. Okay, I'll go for it, you know. Um, but, but what he's saying here is, and this is true, a lot of the people that were coming to faith were not the people from the upper class, as I was talking about earlier, the patrician class or whatnot. They were the people kind of from the lower class, people that didn't have much reputation, didn't have much power in their society. Could, one of the things that the plebeians, they couldn't veto, they couldn't vote. They didn't even have a vote in the society. So they had very little kind of normal power or influence. The things that we see as like, oh, this person can really make a difference. They didn't have the wealth. They didn't have the celebrity, the, the status, the power. He's saying, look, this is not who you were, but God chooses to use the foolishness. So go ahead and go keep going back to the... But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise... God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And there's a reason for it. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chooses to work through, it could be said, broken vessels. People that have come to a place where they've gotten to the end of themselves. They're, they're less impressed with themselves. And they see the power and the work of God in their life. And they acknowledge and glorify him through what he accomplishes through them so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you see that? Um, there's a, there's some of you, I, I went through a difficult time in my life, 2010, 11, around that time. It was, I won't go into all the details, but I went through a pretty difficult time in my life. And, and I, I started to grow closer to God in that time, in the time of trial. I also, I'll just share, actually, so 2010, I went through an unexpected divorce in my life. In 2011, I was at a sports camp in Egypt coaching soccer. I got kicked accidentally from a kid, and it broke six bones in my face. So I was dealing with the emotional pain of, of, a, of a divorce, and I was dealing with the physical trauma of literally looking like Quasimodo as I went around town, right? And, and I was then went on to, you know, after this injury, went on to Palestine, and we got to share Christ there, and, and I just felt like this is, I was the camp, I was the team leader, I was the speaker, so I'm getting up to speak in front of the kids, and I literally, I mean, my face is all bandaged and swollen. I was like, this seems pretty foolish right now. But God used that brokenness, that weakness, to where I was able to minister. We had 13 kids. We shared with about 145 kids in the Palestinian area, four different locations. We had kids give life to Christ, even though I was like literally, I mean, just getting out of the hospital. They put in five metal plates and 21 screws on this side of my face. Pretty gnarly. Some of you know that story. Some of you don't know that story. I wasn't planning to share. But, but just to give you, like, in that time, I saw God work intimately in my life in my life, and then also through my life. I had like a um, hemorrhaged eye, so it was like red for a month, month and a half, and I would get back to going to speak at schools, and everyone's like, what's up with this dude? <laughs> what's wrong with you? And I would tell the story, though, and I'd be able to talk about how God met me in this quiet place, and how he was present, even in the midst of trial. And he told me, Luke, don't worry, I'm going to use this for my glory. It's going to be okay, you know, and I experienced God in that time. So I heard around that time, A.W. Tozer gave a quote where he said, before God uses a person greatly, he first wounds them deeply. And I don't know exactly what that means or looks like. And, and, and the reality is, you know, it's like you, you don't need to be afraid, oh, God's going to put me through some hard. We all are going to face trials in our life. We all face difficulty. It's just a reality in our own lives and in the lives of those that are around us. 
And yet God can use, he can meet with us, meet us in those times and begin to form us in the character that he wants in us to prepare us for how he wants to use us. We see this throughout much of church history and much of, you know, biblical history. Think about Moses, 40 years out in the wilderness, wandering around. Hadn't talked to him in a long time. And God says, come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to deliver my people. And he's like, God, I, I can't talk well. I'm not a good communicator. So he says, okay, I'm going to send you. I'll, I'll bring Aaron alongside of you. You think about um, Jesus coming into the world. You imagine the conversation with the angels. All right, God, how are we going to have the incarnation going to happen? Is he going to be you know, a king? Is he going to be a ruler? Is he going to be a politician? No, he's going to be like born in this really podunk town of Bethlehem. People are going to question his mom and, and, and her morality you know, to this little family. And he's going to be born in a, a manger, an overflow shelter, because of the busyness of the town at the time. Really? That's the plan? Yeah, that's the plan. You think about Paul. Paul's a persecutor, Saul at the time, a persecutor of the church, persecuting Christians. That was, you know, his, in his zeal, he's on the way to persecute Christians to mass, and God intervenes and begins to reveal his will for Paul, that he had, was going to use him to make a huge difference in the, in the early church through the letters he would write and his travel and his preaching. God uses the foolish things of the world. He does it differently than us. As I was looking up the, the, the word foolish and some of the different stuff, or weakness, weak, these different words, one of the synonyms is the word absurd, that God uses absurd things sometimes that seem absurd to us, don't seem the way we would do it to accomplish his purposes and his will. And the encouragement to us is that means he can use each and every one of us. Part of, the, part of what it means that God, the foolishness of God, the method, the approach, the strategy that God has instituted in the world to bring people to himself, to reach the nations, to accomplish, you know, to, to draw a bride to himself for eternity is for people who follow him to like open their mouth and talk about God's stuff and share with a friend or a coworker about how God loves them, they've sinned against God, how they can be rescued in Jesus if they'll put their faith in him. And having that sometimes very awkward conversation and, and interactions with people, that is the method, the means that God has instituted for people to believe and to be saved. And yeah, we hear about like dreams in some places and other types of things. You think, God, there's got to be other ways than that. But that's what God has done. And sometimes we think, okay, really, though, he's going to use, like, you know, the pastors or the clergy or the professional people. They've been through a homiletics class. They're really, you know, smart. I'll bring them to church. They can hear from them. He's like, no. It was actually when persecution came on the early church and that everyone was sent out that the gospel people were being added to their number every day because the normal people were going out into society, into, you know, the places that they, they were running and fleeing to and sharing Christ. So God wants to use our simple conversations with people to make a difference in the world. He uses the weak. Um, I've had the chance and the privilege with FCA to travel quite a bit to do international ministry and, and sports camps and all kinds of stuff overseas. And for whatever reason, it's worked out where a lot of the places that we've gone have been in the 1040 window, a missiological term of a location of the world where a lot of the unengaged or unreached people groups are. And so I've had the chance to interact with and, and train and work alongside people that are doing ministry in some very, very difficult places of the world where there's tremendous persecution, hostility, and, and a lot of difficulty. Um, you know, I think it was India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, I think about seven times in the last four, four and a half years or so, those types of places. Um, actually, next month, I'm really excited. We're going to Singapore and China to do train about 150 leaders from 38 countries that are all coming to Singapore for a big conference. And I talked about the Isthmian Games and stuff. They're actually working on a strategy for Tokyo and Japan. A lot of the guys will be coming there for that. Uh, for, for this next year and stuff that's going on with the Olympic Games there. And through that, I have become convinced that when we think about eternity and the kingdom of God, there's a passage. Go, go ahead and go to the next one. It says here in uh, Matthew, 
7. Is it Matthew 7? Matthew 7, 22. Um, no, that's it. That's right. That was it. Matthew 20, 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. I've really come to, to, to believe that it's these people that, that nobody in popular society has heard of, people that we don't know of, that God is using in some of the most profound ways. And when we get to heaven, they will be the people that we will see as kind of the celebrities of heaven. Not celebrity in the sense that we'll admire them, but rather that will reflect great glory to God. There's a couple pictures. This is, um, these were sent to me through WhatsApp uh, just this last week. This is some people getting baptized in a, in a place in, in East Asia, or South Asia. Uh, go to the next one. In this one, they're, they're baptizing people at night just because of the risk of security in these locations. And you don't know, I'm not going to tell you the name right now, but we don't know who these people are. Nobody really knows who they are. But they are serving faithfully in very difficult situations. And even though they have no rep- reputation, recognition, you know, support, like God sees them. And he esteems oftentimes what is done in secret. Amen? Yeah? And so in the same way, I, I share that to say in our own lives, it's the mundane things. It's the simple things. The simple conversations with a person here or there. You never know how God might use your life when you steward it in all the areas of your life for him and for his purposes or for his glory. Um, I have a friend, Jerry Beck, uh, and he is a, a minister. He, he goes out as a chaplain to the county jail here in Slow. And I would go with him for, for about a year and a half. I would go out there around college. I was in college. And he just goes faithfully. He's kind of a mentor in my life and a, a good friend. And nobody, you don't know, you didn't know, you've probably not heard that name. Most people don't know who he is. For 30 years, he's been going out there, two or three times a week, talking to inmates across the bars, sitting in the dorms with them. And I'll talk with him and stuff, and I send out newsletters for our ministry, or, you know, we do an all-star game that's kind of in the news and has some recognition and whatnot. And, he, and, he'll, and he'll just kind of say, oh, Luke, it's so cool, you know, the, seeing how God's doing, working through your ministry in like a big way, and, you know, kind of the, the you acknowledge in these ways, you, you know, it's seen, or this, that, or you have this support. And, and I can tell someone there's not a jealousy, but there's kind of like, ah, oh, I just feel like, am I, have I really done anything that important or that significant? Nobody knows who I am. Like, I just go out here, and I, I don't know how many people I could say have come to Christ and just kind of stumble along in this. But I always tell them, Jerry, are you kidding? Like, God sees it. And the Bible says, Jesus says sometimes, he says, hey, look, you know, you've had the praise of man, all that stuff. You've had your reward in this, in this earth. But when we do things that nobody sees, like, your reward is stored in heaven. Like, God sees those things. He doesn't, he doesn't miss it right? And so, um, you know, I try to encourage him with that and, and just to think about in myself, like, I want to do the things that honor God, that please him, because we live in a culture that's all about status, right? It's all about likes and how many followers and, and fans and, and wealth and um, position and title and all those things. And those things aren't necessarily bad. It's not, it's not bad to have kind of ambition and want to make a difference for the Lord. In fact, we have a responsibility, I think, to steward the digital age that we live in, to use these digital platforms and whatnot, that we can have a broader witness at times. But sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, in title and reputation or recognition. I struggle with pride in my life. I remember being in high school, I was reading some of the, I think, Mere Christianity talk, there's a passage there about pride, and I think Francis Chaney giving a talk, and he was talking about doing things in secret. So I remember being on campus, and I was like, all right, I want to, like, pick up trash on campus, but I don't want anybody to see me, you know? And I'm going to throw it away and, like, like between me and you, God, you know, and all my reward is now gone because I told you this story. But, but I, would, I would go around, you know, and I would, like, pick up some trash and look and, like, throw it away and be like, sweet, I did it, you know, just between me and God. Because I struggle with wanting recognition or wanting people to acknowledge the things that I've done. And there was this tension of, like, okay, do I do, do things like, do, thing, do I do the things that I do for God because just to simply serve him or because people will pat me on the back because I'm in the Christian world or in the church or, or whatever, you know? And, and God wants us to do things to honor him, and he sees what is, what is done in secret. Even if the world doesn't esteem it, he sees it. 
and there's reward. So God uses the weak. The last will be first. The first will be last. And that leads us to the next part, which is the idea of the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is different than our wisdom. Um, I was with my son, Isaac, the other day, and you know, I was, you know, was like, oh, maybe we'll kind of read the Bible with him a little bit, you know, be a good spiritual leader in our home and stuff. And so I'm like, hey, Isaac, do you want to read a little bit of the Bible with me? And he goes, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. He's three, by the way. He's three. And I would say, what did you just say? He goes, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, I don't even know that reference. Like, I look it up in my Bible, Proverbs 9.10. And sure enough, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I said, Isaac, where did you learn that? Mom, mom taught me, you know. <laughs> I'm doing, yeah, I thought and, and Katie's been going through some category questions, and they've been memorizing some Bible verses, and I was just so moved by it. One, I was just thankful, you know, that God is, is moving my little guy's heart. Um, but the truth of that passage, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Our world esteems a lot of things. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean, you know, strategy and planning, all this stuff. And even in the church, we can set out some plans and strategies. It's good to be strategic. As we grow in faith and maturity, hopefully we will more align with um, God's heart and the mind of Christ and so on. And as we seek to be on mission and be strategic about how to accomplish what God's leading us to do, hopefully, you know, that will honor him. But it doesn't matter how much strategy and, you know, creativity and thinking we have, God's ways are not our ways. He sometimes uses things that to us might seem foolish or absurd to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And that's okay. There's a really cool uh, book by uh, uh, Blackaby. It's called um, um, Experiencing God. And he talks about that. He said, God is at work in the world. Rather than trying to strategize for God, we need to see where God is working and join him in it. Really profound kind of principle. So the wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of the world. Um, go ahead and go to the passage. So, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. So the wisdom from God is not information, intellect, and this and that. It's a person manifest in the person of Christ in the incarnation. Jesus is the wisdom from God. And in him, we experience righteousness, sanctification, redemption. You could go into depth into all those words. You know, the idea of righteousness, though, is to be found in Christ. We're clothed with his righteousness. He accomplished for us what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves to make us in perfect standing before holy God. We are righteous in Christ. The idea of sanctification, that we're going to, through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're going to grow in a life of faith to maturity, not perfection on this earth. We struggle with the battle of the flesh and the spirit, but God's going to work out the process of sanctification in our life to make us more like Christ before we're in glory with him. And then redemption, that we've been rescued, redeemed, kind of brought, adopted into God's family, right? That we are redeemed in Christ. The significance of what it means to be found in Christ is, is, is huge. It's it's. It's profound, it's amazing that we can be in Christ and that that is the wisdom of God in the world. So when you think about the idea of being absurd, I showed you that story about that couple from the church, Placerita Bible Church in Santa Clarita, a little town in Newhall. I mean, it's like pretty small like area. And so this couple, they, they followed up with the pastor saying, and he's like, hey, please go and share with the people in your community and your clients and all. Well, the husband, like I said, he would teach skateboard lessons. I don't even know to what extent. Well, this one guy, famous guy, is trying to figure out how to skateboard, somehow gets in contact with him, hires him to start teaching him skateboard lessons. So you can go ahead and show the, the video. It ended up being Kanye West. Yeah! 
I don't know if uh, clearly you need some help. <laughs> this is just a video online. I don't think those, those are the people involved in this story. But this guy starts teaching Kanye less skateboard lessons. And the wife, who's a house cleaner, was cleaning the home for the Kardashians. And so they have this relationship. And the pastor, this small little church, is saying, hey, invite, invite them to church. He's like, like a predominantly white kind of small church. I think there's a picture of their, their church. This is their church. And he's like, I don't know if they're going to want to come. Well, you know, a couple of years ago, Kanye West had the, the mental breakdown. He's going through a difficult time. This guy's in his life. says, hey, you should come to my church. It's a small church. You can see that would probably maybe be attractive to somebody who's used to being around lots of people and crowds and all this stuff all the time. And so he starts going and sitting in the back and listening for a year. Imagine if Kanye was showing up in the back of our church every Sunday. No self, he's just kind of sitting there. And God starts to work in his life, it seems. And then the pastor begins to disciple him. Kanye seems to have this conversion experience, comes to Christ, uh, has other family and probably a lot of other people in his life that are impacting him or have been praying for him. And, and I don't know your guys' opinions about it, or maybe you've seen some of the things or followed or haven't, you know, but he's now seeking to do ministry. He's asking God to use his life to make a difference. He just published the album, Jesus is King, and they're doing these Sunday services around the country and almost like mini revival breaking out in different places. Pretty, pretty amazing. Go ahead and show the next one. A little bit of rap here, if you don't mind that. So you have a couple years ago with this person, you know, depending on how much you're familiar with background and so on, but was, you know, being used by all kinds of cultural elites and all this stuff, being used to promote a, uh, and produce, he actually produced like the whole award ceremony for a pornography company, I mean, doing all kinds of stuff in the world, trying to make money, was, you know, debt, all these different things, and God used something as simple or maybe absurd or foolish as just a skateboard coach and a house cleaner to invite him to church, and he was willing to say yes, and the, the gospel, which is the power of God and his salvation, those who believe, took hold in his heart, and transformation began to happen. And now he's preaching in, in prisons and doing these Sunday services. The pastor, actually, from that little church, will travel with him, was in, Walt, or was in uh, uh, Detroit recently. They did this you know, service. They had over 600 people give life to Christ. Seems kind of, if you were to ask, like, hey, what's God, what do you think God's plan is for 2020 to maybe bring revival in the U.S.? Uh, Kanye West, probably not what your first thought would be. <laughs> God uses the foolish things of the world to profound the wise. But the story for me more there is that couple that was willing to be faithful, even when they th thought it probably seemed unlikely, to be willing to ask, to be willing to share. And that comes back to us, that God can use us. Maybe you'll share with somebody this week for Thanksgiving or next week or whatnot and be willing to take a step of faith and boldness. And maybe that person, three years from now, will share with a future Kanye or somebody like that that could have huge impact in our society and our world. Amen? So um, we can be challenged. We can be encouraged by that. Last thing, uh, we must boast in the Lord. If we're going to boast, we must boast in the Lord. Again, remember, God uses the weak things, the broken things, people who have surrendered to him. He wants us to be in a place where he gets the glory. We see his hand. We live in a world that wants to exalt man. It goes all the way back to Protagoras. About the gods, I do not know, but what I do know is that man is the measure of all things. That was a, a uh, quote from an ancient you know, philosopher around this time, Corinth and all that. 
we live in a society of humanism that esteems human reason, human intellect, human accomplishment, and seeks to demote and diminish God. In the Times, or the, you know, the, the um, Time magazine back in the day, God, is God dead? God is dead. No, God is not dead. God is alive. God is worthy of all glory and praise. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's at work in our lives. He's at work in our country. He's at work around the world. And it's pretty amazing. We must boast in the Lord. So this is um, actually in this passage. Go to that passage real quick. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Um, and he's saying, as it is written. So there, this is actually probably taken from a passage in Jeremiah. So in the next one here in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, let, the, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God doesn't delight and, you know, is not impressed by earthly riches or accomplishment or title. He rejoices in humility, in brokenness, in surrender, in faith or faithfulness, in obedience. That's what he wants. God esteems humility, brokenness, surrender, obedience, and faithfulness. He wants to be great, must become the least, Jesus talked about. When he's talking about what it means to be a leader. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and the Lord must increase. In the sports ministry movement, sometimes we talk about this idea of descending into greatness. That if you truly want to be great in the world, it's about fully submitting and surrendering to God and what he wants to accomplish in and through our life. And that's really ultimately what's going to bear fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold, etc. Sound good? So in conclusion, um, go to the passage. Actually, go ahead and go to the passage. I'll just read it. One more time, second service, I can go a little longer. I don't know how I'm doing. <laughs> For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So to kind of wrap it up, or the summary of this conclusion, in Christ, we are called by God. God has a unique and a specific calling on our life. God uses the weak things of the world. So if it might seem like, oh, this, I don't know if I can do this, I'm nervous, I'm afraid, I'm stumbling, I stutter, that's what God uses, because he gets the glory rather than us. God's wisdom is greater than earthly wisdom, and that's an understatement. Therefore, we must boast in God, not in ourselves. Amen? Jesus, thank you for this time this morning. I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged by these things. And as we go into the, the holiday season, it will be around family. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, instead of politics, conversations could go towards you and that we can be open to be a witness and to share. And Lord, that first and foremost, that we would know you and enter into a relationship with you. Lord, if anybody's here this morning and they don't know you or they're not walking closely with you at this time, Lord, I pray that you would bring them back to yourself, and they could cry out and say, God, forgive me, I trust in you, I thank you for Jesus and what he's done for me, and Lord, that you would be drawing them to yourself, that you would call them um, for your purpose in, in the world. Uh, we love you, Lord Jesus, uh, for those of us who are walking with you, God, that you would use us, help us to be faithful and to look for those opportunities, those divine appointments to be a witness. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.